welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about Beauty and the Beast, the live action edition version. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? This Beauty and the Beast is from 2017. It is a live action Disney film. Uh, and a remake of the 1991 film of the same name. It stars Emma Watson and Dan Stevens, as well as Luke Evans, Kevin Kline, Josh Gad, Ewan, Ewan McGregor, Stanley Tucci, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Ian McKellen, and Emma Thompson. Paul, can you tell us what the plot of the wonderful fairy tale Beauty and the Beast is? Little town. It's a quiet village every day like the day before. Little town full of little people waking up to say, I need six eggs. That's too expensive. (laughs) Um, Belle lives in a town and her father, seeking refuge from a storm, stumbles upon a beast's castle where the beast takes him prisoner. Belle offers to be kept prisoner in exchange and... Her father, Maurice, returns to town. The beast falls in love with Belle, and everyone in the castle is hopeful that that will break the spell that has transformed him into a beast. But before Belle can return his love, she returns to the town to help her father, who has been unjustly imprisoned by the brutish Gaston, who wants to marry Belle. Gaston leads the townspeople to attack the castle and kill the beast, But Belle escapes to warn the beast. Gaston falls to his death. Belle says that she loves the beast. Everyone turns human, and they live happily ever after. Yep, that's the plot to Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Yep. Remarkably similar to the 1991 movie of the same name. (laughs) Quite similar. (laughs) There are some differences that maybe we will point out. This is a movie... Absolutely. Occasionally, we have a movie like this where I want, before we get to objective judgments, I want to talk about personal histories. And listen, I don't have personal history with this movie, really. A little bit. A little bit of one. But the 91 Beauty and the Beast, uh, when we talked about Aladdin, we talked about how you had one VHS tape in your childhood home and it was Aladdin. We had one VHS tape in my childhood home, and it was the animated Beauty and the Beast. And I love it with a deep and abiding love. Mm-hmm. So this movie, uh, I'm going to just be honest, like, I'm biased against it. I come into this movie and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, for, try and make me like you better than the animated genius, brilliant, best <laughs> animated movie of all time. Belle is my favorite Disney princess. Beauty and the Beast is my favorite animated movie, Disney animated movie. Uh, And favorite, like, I have watched the animated Beauty and the Beast hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, every single beat I know, and I feel it in my bones. (laughs) Uh, And every single beat in this movie where it departs from... The way things go in the 91 animated version, I feel in my bones as being wrong. <laughs> and we've talked before. Yep. I can put that aside. In On one level, I can put that aside and say, like, a new movie is a new thing. This is not a reproduction of the 91 animated movie. It shouldn't be. The things it does, diff- like, the 91 animated movie still exists. But I also, just to put out there, I love the 91 version It has a very special place in my heart and forever will. When we went to Disney World, I got to dance with Belle. Okay, that's a different thing. Um, (laughs) I was going to mention Disney World and how, like, we went to Disney World and and we met a lot of princesses, but all I really cared about was meeting Belle. And we met Belle and I got to take a picture with her and it was like... I know, I know in my, in my real brain, in my real, like, smart human brain that, like, she's just a person pretending to be Belle. It's not real. <laughs> but Disney World is, like, this magical place that you go and you feel like they're real. And, like, it made me cry a little bit to be like, it's Belle. I'm really, like, I'm standing next to Belle. <laughs> 
And I got to uh, dance with uh, Belle, yellow dress Belle. Yeah. And uh, so. That was, yeah. So we have some very strong feelings about Beauty and the Beast, the Disney Beauty and the Beast. Um, This movie specifically, Personal History, uh, it came out last year in April. Mm -hmm. Um, April 1st last year, uh, our kids kind of discovered April Fool's Day last year. They'd kind (laughs) of heard of it before, but it was like, saran wrap on the toilet seat kind of discovering and so on april fool's day we took our kids uh our kids hate it when we go grocery shopping and we take them along they get really annoyed with that and so we were like oh we really need to go grocery shopping we need to go so let's let's just get in the car and go grocery shopping and we got in the car and our local movie theaters is inside the mall and we got, and we stopped the mall and we're like walking into the mall and kind of being like, yeah, we need to go grocery shopping. And like the grocery store is not in the mall. And both <laughs> of our kids are just kind of like, okay. And then we arrived at the movie theater and we were like, how about let's go see Beauty and the Beast instead, April Fool's. And they were so excited and so fooled and like, but we're not getting groceries. <laughs> yeah. So that was a great, like, when I think about this movie, I remember how we fooled our kids Very into thinking true. we were to do something boring when in fact we were going to see this movie by the way not to like our way of doing things is the only good way but that is the only good kind of april fool's joke (laughs) guess what turns out things are way better than you thought and i'm doing something nice that you didn't know i was going like that's an april fool's (laughs) not haha i poisoned your applesauce and now you're dead Uh, okay, so Paul hates pranks, just so y'all know. <laughs> I do. Um, okay, so let's get into this objectively. Okay. How much did you? How much? How good is this movie? Okay, I want to start with the two leads, Emma Watson and Dan Stevens. I think are doing really excellently in this movie mm-hmm. throughout. Yeah, I think Emma Watson is fantastic in this movie. Uh, I have a lot of affection for her because she's Hermione and I have affection for those movies, as you know, if you've heard uh, our podcast about it. Mm -hmm. But I think even if I didn't have affection for her, like she does great. Mm -hmm. She's she's the perfect Belle. She's the perfect Belle. She sings well. Who knew that she can sing, but she can. Mm -hmm. And Dan Stevens as the Beast, his performance is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really like it. I think they're both doing great. We personally really like Dan Stevens. He's the lead in our in uh, Legion, which we do another podcast about, as well as he was on Downton Abbey. Yeah. So, like, we'll start I, in terms of high notes of quality. Both the lead actors are high notes, and they're great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, also, I think... Uh, What's his name? Luke Evans as as Gaston knocks it out of the park as well. I think he's completely fine. <laughs> All right. No, he's... Okay, I'll call him as far as good in terms of his acting. Mm. His performance is good, yes. I think a lot of the visuals of this movie are beautiful. A especially, lot of them. Especially the... What I think are beautiful are... The wide shots, the shots yeah. of the castle, of the town, of the scenery, the costuming Mostly. is beautiful. Especially, well, Belle's costuming, especially. Yeah, agreed. Um, the CGI is, I mean, it's good, mm-hmm. but it still has issues. Yeah. Um, there are, I don't love the design on the objects, especially especially say, Mrs. Potts. I'm gonna say I don't. I'm gonna say I hate it. Across I think, the board. I think Cogsworth looks cool. Okay, Cogsworth looks good. Plumette looks mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Lumiere looks bad. Mm-hmm. Chip and Mrs. Potts look terrible. Yeah. Uh 
And in terms of like the special effects, I agree it's a good looking movie in the wide shots and the close ups not so much. And like even I said Dan Stevens is a high note, I'm moving from high notes to low notes because I have a, quite a few critiques. Uh, Dan Stevens' performance is good, but the CGI on his face is a little patchy. Mm -hmm. Like Beast's design is fine, yeah, but not great. Yeah. Especially his face. His body is good. Well, like, is a good design. But his face doesn't look good. He mm -hmm. needs to look more monstrous, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, moving to more low notes. No, let's, let's stick on high notes to say. Um, I think there's humor in this. A lot of the, there's a lot of added things, added scenes, added moments, added beats. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of added jokes yep. that mostly land. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of funny moments that I like. Mm -hmm. I think Ian McKellen is doing great. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, Kevin Klein does better than fine. I don't mm -hmm. think he does great, but I think he does good. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything? And mm, I think many of the songs are just excellent songs. Yes, including the added ones. I think I like the the Dan Stevens extra the song Dan that gets added. I like it a lot. And I like that they didn't include Human Again, which is a terrible song. Yeah, the Dan Stevens added one, I mean, I agree. I think that's actually a good song. And then anything else in terms of highlights that you think they objectively did well? I think just in general, the sets and the... The costume and like the, yeah, just in general, the look of it is very good. Can we talk for just a hot second about uh, Dan Stevens' makeup as the prince in the very first scene? <laughs> you I, like that? Or? I love it. I think it, it's like super over the top and I can understand why some people might not like it, but I thought it was great. I thought it looked really uh, good and also was great for characterization of like, he's, uh, it really presents him as extremely superficial. Yeah. I I think the first time we watched this, I was really taken aback and didn't like it. The second time we watched it, I kind of got it a little more. I still find it a bit weird. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. So there you go. In terms of lowlights, I have quite a few issues with this movie in terms of the quality of it. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to start with performances. I think there are few, if any acceptable accents in this movie. Mm. Like ones that are being put on, you mean? Yeah. Ian McKellen, his accent is his actual accent and it sounds great. Yep. But Ewan McGregor is yeah. atrocious. Yep. Like absolutely. Like embarrassingly bad. He just sounds like he's like trying to mimic exactly what whoever what did Lumiere in the first in the, the animated movie. He's yeah. adding nothing to it. He's not doing his own thing. He's just doing a terrible French accent. He's doing a bad, he's accent. adding badness to it because he's yeah. making it all nasal. I am Lumiere. Like he, like he talks like he's never heard a French person. Yeah. I think Plumet uh, also. Yeah. I like her a lot in other things. What's her name again? Uh, Gugu Mbathara. Gugu Mbathara. I like her a lot in other things. I liked her a lot in A Wrinkle in Time. But if this was the only thing I knew her from, I would think she would didn't know how to act. Yeah. It's bad. And Emma Thompson, yeah. who is a, such a good actress, but yeah. like, what are you doing? She sounds like Tracy Ullman. Mm. She has the same accent as Tracy Ullman in Robin Hood. Mm. <laughs> yes, you were I'm, I'm, I'm Mrs. Potts and I'm talking. Like, what are you doing? It is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <laughs> It's so, this is not, like, how much you enjoyed it. It is, like, she is doing a bad job. Hmm. And so Ewan McGregor and uh, Emma Thompson especially are not doing a good job in this movie at all. Yeah, their accent voice work is is not great. Um, And then, in terms of, I said the songs are really good, uh, but... I think I think f there are also some not good songs in this movie. Mm. I think uh, what I 
bristolet in these with the songs is Emma Watson sounds auto-tuned weirdly. Yep. And that puts me off. I think basically, in terms of the songs and of the storytelling and of the plotting, I think this movie has a pacing issue. Mm. And yes. that shows most immediately in the songs where the songs all run slow. They're they're moving more slowly than they should be. Mm-hmm. They keep they break for like to get everyone to hit their dance mark. And so there's a couple of bars of instrumental where everyone awkwardly moves to their dancing mark. Uh, there's no snap in any of the songs. And then that also goes into in the plot. There are, it moves slowly. Uh, I think hmm. just as a story, every single scene could be trimmed by, you know, if every scene was 10 seconds shorter, this movie would be better. Hmm. I disagree. I think it has some pacing issues, but I don't think it's that atrocious. A I kid, think. I mean, our seven-year-old who wanted to see this movie and likes it better than the animated movie uh, stopped paying attention. And she does have issues sometimes paying attention to a whole movie, but there are movies that hold her attention all the way through and this one didn't. Yes. And she came back to it eventually, but like it drags. It does have some dragging moments. I agree. I, I think I, I'm disagreeing with you for the every scene comment. I okay. think there are certain scenes that are that are too long. And I, I can only think like the Gaston song, they move to their dance marks. But is there, are there other songs where they're doing that? Uh, the... Um what a pity, it's a more than this provincial life. What's the title of that song? I don't know. But the first song mm-hmm. also has several moments where like there's no snap. Hmm. We go from one line to another, but we have a couple of bars in between so that we can hit our mark. Little town full of little people waking up to I guess I just felt like I liked how it wasn't so rushed like Hmm. in like yeah I thought uh, the kill the beast was good was Hmm. good performance yep I thought Dan Stevens new song whatever it's called, whatever the title of that is, was a good performance. I thought Emma Watson singing in uh, her Provincial Life song was great, but the performance itself was uh, kind of low energy from the ensemble. Mm. And the instruments, like the the pacing of it was low energy. And even Emma Watson's, like her voice was good, but they had her strolling so slowly through the town that hmm. just was like low energy. Okay, I I'm going to add to that. Mean. In terms of the writing, the uh, I didn't care for. I I think I like the conception of it, but in execution, Agatha, the enchantress being someone in the town, I don't think quite landed. Yeah, it was a bit shoehorned in. They didn't quite make her a character. That we, kid, that we knew about or cared about. Like, our kids were even like, who is she? She was in the town? They, it feels like there was a scene on the cutting room floor where they introduced her I early so in the too. town. I think so, too. So, because, like, when she rescues Maurice, she, like, takes off her hood as if we're supposed to recognize her. And we don't. And it, it's too late at that point to introduce her as someone in the town. And then when she turns out that she's in the, the Enchantress, it's like, well, yeah, she magically rescued Maurice. Like... Well, we saw her before she rescued Maurice. Really briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the pacing issue. That, like, they're not putting things... They're adding a lot. I'm I'm starting to talk about comparing it to the animated movie yeah. again. But they don't, I think, 
pace things properly. Speaking, She's an speaking of pacing, we're kind of uh, dragging, dragging okay. here on pacing. Um, do you want to move into a section where we talk about this movie ver- and not versus, but in comparison to the 1991 movie? Yeah. We talked about off mic that we were going to have like a segment that was specifically comparisons, not necessarily judgment of the good or the bad, but like, let's pay attention to some of the differences. Mm-hmm. I think my impression in general is that there's a lot of the kind of mistakes or continuity errors that they are dealing with in this movie. They mm-hmm. deal with quite directly, like yeah. it's summer in the village and then it's winter and guess in the castle and mm-hmm. that makes no sense. So they address it textually in this movie. Yeah. How does the beast get on the horse? They she, address it textually. She, she just added a line where she asks him to help her Kim get on the horse. And I... How long has it been that they've been servants? They address that. How... Why are they being punished too? They address they that. They address that. I mean, they we'll f- get more into that a little later on. They fix the major issue of uh, Beauty and the Beast, which is that if he is there until his 21st year and they've been there for 10 years, then he was 11 when he was cursed for the rest of his life for being selfish. And they like, they erase that issue. So I think that that's like, they clearly have paid close attention to the original text and the issues in it and are like actively trying to address them all. They address to uh, Gaston, why doesn't he want to be with those three other girls in the town he has people fawning all over him and he like has lines addressing that being like i don't want them i want and see now you've got to where i think uh i start to have an issue that i feel like they go overboard Hmm. that they address things that didn't really need addressing they're so fixated on addressing every single problem anyone could have ever found in Beauty and the Beast. And that's part of the pacing issue, is they add extra lines to explain away every single thing that might have happened in the original animated movie. And it makes it slow. There were things in the animated movie that they didn't explain that you had didn't notice were a problem until the 50th viewing because they didn't need explaining, I think. So I respect a lot the attempt, but I think that there could have been more, they could have been more judicious in what needed to be addressed and what didn't. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. I really like, I, go. You're talking a lot. I really liked um, the change of Maurice from an inventor that invents like a wood chopping machine to being an artist. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. It makes way more sense yeah. that he would be an artist. It it fits exactly with them being weird, them being odd, them not having yep. enough money, them yep. doing things that don't make sense to a town of people. Yep. And speaking of the town of people, the other big change is the reason that this town is this boring provincial town where they're all... Uh, ignorant, especially in this movie, is because they've been cursed. They've been they've, also cursed. They've also are un- under the spell of forgetting the castle and forgetting their former life. And clearly they had some sort of system where they would go to the castle. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to be put my medieval hat on. Like the village is associated with the castle. The village is what provides the goods that the castle needs to live. And the castle provides the village with the money and uh, military protection. Like that's a feudal system that continues to exist post-feudal in like a late medieval or renaissance or even later system of like the castle. And you see it in Downton Abbey too. Like the Mm. house has the money and it supports the village, it employs the village, and the village provides the house with the goods and services that they need. To, and it's a ideally a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. So they're more thought. They're definitely more thoughtful about why is there a castle nearby this village? Well, actually, it would make a lot of sense that there would be. That the animated yeah, movie absolutely. kind of doesn't care to explain that, and this movie does. So there's some changes that they make that I like. I, What you said about Maurice the Artist, I'm a million percent on board with you. That's maybe my favorite of the changes. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we needed Belle's mother's tragic plague death. Yeah, it's nice to know I guess. what happened. 
or that like to care that she had a mother. Yeah. I don't know if we need to know the details of how she died and why that was relevant. Yeah. But I but I do think that addressing that she did have a mother and is sad that she's not around anymore. I mean, it could have been, I think they either did needed to do more or less with it mm-hmm. because like the trip into Paris and my poor, my, my mother died like great. I've complained before and would complain again. And it's a complaint about the original Beauty and the Beast that like her mother just disappears from everyone's mind, never gets mentioned at all. I'm glad that they mentioned her, but like, the visit to Paris that does nothing for anything. It doesn't add to the theme. It doesn't add to her emotional development. It does. Does it? It bonds. Why? Her, it bonds her and the Beast together more. It, it kind I of guess. gives them a moment together that isn't focused on him and focused on his their captivity. His captivity of her. It is. I don't know. I think it. It's a good added scene for. For more development of their relationship. I suppose. Oh, the other thing, uh, the other big change that I approve of is uh, this is a thing from the animated movie that didn't show up in the final cut, but it's a deleted scenes that sometimes now you get when you try to watch Beauty and the Beast, that the Beast can't read for some reason and she teaches him how to read in the animated movie. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. That was a stupid Thing that it was good that they cut in the theatrical release. Yeah, that they ma- and it was and in and this, this movie. Yeah, to make the, in this movie they make it explicit that like they're intellectual equals, and yeah. he, she has never met someone before. It who just was her intellectual equal makes him so makes it so much more sense that she would have that she would find something attractive about him. Like mm-hmm. if he is both physically appall- physically unappealing and stupid. Yeah. His kindness isn't enough to overcome all of that, you know? But if he's uncouth, but her intellectual, like what you said, yeah. gives her something that she can see in him. Yeah, exactly. I, and it also just makes more sense. Why yeah. would a prince be illiterate? That makes no sense. Yeah. Anything else in terms of differences that you want to either praise or complain about? I want to uh, address... Actually, no. I'll get into something in the way too seriously. Which is now. Well, we were going to say, let's say really uh, explicitly we haven't actually. How much did you enjoy this movie? Apart from your objective judgments, apart from comparing it to the other movie, how much do you like the live action Beauty and the Beast? I, especially on this second watching, actually like it quite a lot. It's not my favorite and I would definitely, if I'm going to go to a Beauty and the Beast, I'm going to go to the animated one but i like this one quite a lot how about you i agree to disagree yeah i know (laughs) i can recognize intellectually things that are done really well i have so much emotional connection to the animated version that i never want to watch this movie i will never like i was inwardly like humping when our kid was like we want to watch this movie I was like, how about the animated one, though? They are like, no, the live action. And I was like, you know, kids can make their own decisions and like their own things. Okay. But inside my heart of hearts, I was like, no, that's the wrong one. I don't like it. <laughs> so I, in my feelings rather than my thoughts, I can't forgive this movie for not being the animated version. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So even though I like both Dan Stevens and Emma Watson a lot. So let's get into let's finally get into the way portion of our show. I want to talk about LeFou. Talk about LeFou. And how he is uh kind of in love with Gaston. More than kind of, right? Yeah, like I mean, he's definitely in this coded gay, and by the end, he dances with a man and clearly is gay. This movie, remember, when this movie was coming out, they promoted it as Disney's first openly gay character. Did they? Yes. Wow. I didn't know and that. And it's like, look at this movie and think this is openly gay. But anyway. Yeah. Okay, so go on. But I just like that, like, you maybe could read that into the into the original movie but this just kind of makes it explicit that like he is trying to help 
Gaston, but the only reason he's trying to help him is because he really would like to be with Gaston. Mm -hmm. And it makes way more sense. But also, yeah, if this is like Disney's first openly gay character, it's pretty subtle. It's a pretty, like, it's pretty poor crumbs. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and I'm not sure... I have complicated thoughts about LeFou in this movie uh, because on one hand, it does make sense that he would, like his affection for Gaston, even in the animated movie, is like, or is at least readable as uh, erotic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is not, it's far from a stretch to just push that a little further. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and there's maybe good to like, it's not much, but it's something he's on screen and like people have feelings and there's a representation that wasn't there before. And, but on the other hand, he's the lackey who Mm -hmm. is the like lapdog, uh, uh, unrequited, I like this is your calling open mm-hmm. like he's not open he dances with a man at the end okay I guess that's enough for like, like he never half a second for half a second blink and you miss it he never uh acknowledges his affection or attraction to Gaston at all mm-hmm. um we can read it through the lines if we're very careful mm-hmm. um and like it feels like the most minuscule of bones to throw bones that maybe was a bad choice of word (laughs) but it seems like the most minuscule of like there it's a scrap isn't that enough for you yeah um and i kind of like maybe nothing would be better than this yeah because he's so like this is what you're gonna celebrate this tiny bit of uh possibly you could read it as you're calling open and add to that like in terms of representation of sexuality there's the scene where the three guys the three men get dressed up as women Mm -hmm. and two of them run away screaming and the one like smiles and winks and that's another one where like i'm not sure yeah me too because is it hilarious cross-dressing? Or is it saying, hey, maybe it's not so bad? I think the joke is on him. I don't, I think, I can, I would hear an argument to the opposite because I don't think it's, I'm not 100% sure that my reading is right, but my reading is. Uh, we're laughing at him. We're mm. not approving we're not saying it actually would be fine for you to wear a dress. We're just making a different kind of joke. Like, I, haha, he actually is a, a deviant. I could argue the opposite. I could argue that the, that the text is she dressed them all up in dresses as like, here's your punishment. And he, he goes, it's not really a punishment. Some of us like this. But he's a bad guy. But he's a bad guy. And, like... I, I think it is I think it is played for humor. I think you are right. I just thought I'd take the other side. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, it's clearly played for humor. Yeah. But is the humor benign or is it uh, harmful? And I think it's more harmful than helpful. Hmm. You but I could, right. I could be persuaded. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more harmful than helpful. Mm-hmm. Because... The two who run away are clearly like, for a man to dress as a woman is humiliating and awful and run away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the third one, I feel like maybe they are trying to counter that. But what ends up being on the screen is we laugh at him Mm -hmm. for thinking it's okay to dress as a woman. Yeah. You may be right. Instead of like, so I don't think that that's anything to be happy with. Yeah. Ultimately. Mm Mm-hmm. Does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Belle teaches a girl to read and they talk about books together. Mm-hmm. She talks to Mrs. Potts as well. Hmm, she and does. The, and the wardrobe. And the wardrobe. 
I'm not a big fan of the wardrobe in either movie, mm. honestly. She's a bit shrieky. Yeah. Yeah. That's not seriously. That's just my enjoyment of that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does pass the Bechdel test. Yep. It's fairly... This movie, like the animated movie, is fairly consciously feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, I mean, like, it's fairly consciously talking about women reading and whether that's good, and that's maybe a low bar of feminism. But, like, what makes Gaston villainous very first in both movies is... Uh, that he doesn't think that educating women is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. More happens, but his first sign of villainy in both movies mm-hmm. is that he doesn't approve of educating women. Yeah. And, like, maybe that is, uh, maybe the movie shouldn't get a cookie for, like, oh, you're taking the bold stand that educating women isn't a bad thing. But, like, it would be easy to just say nothing. Yeah. It right? really would be. So I think they do, they are making a conscious choice. And I think part of why they're making a conscious choice that I like is there's the whole theme of Beauty and the Beast is problematic. And so they're, mm, yeah. they're, they're consciously working against the problematics of Beauty and the Beast as a fairy tale. Yeah. They want um, her as much as possible to be choosing him. Yeah. Because, I mean, should we talk now about why Beauty and the Beast, just as a fairy tale, yeah. is problematic? Sure. I mean, it's Stockholm Syndrome. She is yeah. kidnapped and has no choice and cannot, and he can't, she can't leave, but she still falls in love with him. In and the... he, at least in this movie, he lets her go, mm-hmm. but it's still, she's still his captive. Yeah, and in the Bare Bones fairy tale... Uh, the idea of Beauty and the Beast, the fundamental ideas of Beauty and the Beast are she's an object that her father essentially, like, gives the beast his daughter Mm -hmm. in the fairy tale. Uh, And she's his reward for learning to be good and love. He gets to have her for his growth as a character. Yeah. And the juxtaposition of beauty and the beast is all about women are beauty. Men don't have to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. They can be beastly. And, uh, you know, it, there's that's troubling too. Yeah. And I think both the animated movie and this movie are actively kind of working against some of the problematic elements of that by making it instead of like in the classic fairy tale, the father promises the beast to give him whatever the first thing he sees when he gets home and that he thinks it's going to be his cat and it's the daughter instead yeah so they make bell be the one that comes to the castle and chooses to uh switch places with the father is clearly consciously like trying not to trying to give her agency trying to give her agency and i think this movie pushes that even further than the animated movie Mm -hmm. like giving her her own agency her own choice her own like they give her lines and her Mouth of, like, could I ever really be happy if I was a captive? Yeah. Um, And also the, like, the, one of the best moral lessons of the fairy tale is, that, that subsides in the movie, too, is the idea that you have to be loved first to be lovable. Like that's mm-hmm. some, there's something really profound about that that's in built into the fairy tale and is in this movie too that you're not lovable first you're loved first. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie, uh, both movies work hard to not let that be, uh, m- not that not let that just be. Men don't have to be lovable, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Okay. Which the fairy tale can easily be, and this movie is. And the animated movie both are working hard not to reproduce that. And they reproduce it a little accidentally because it's kind of baked into the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. But they try not to reproduce it. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. The thing that they changed about this movie is making the objects, the servants, are being punished too because they didn't protect the young boy from becoming horrible. Mm. Yeah. 
He's cursed you somehow. Why? You did nothing. You're quite right there, dear. You see, when the master lost his mother and his cruel father took that sweet, innocent lad and twisted him up to be just like him, we did nothing. Which I guess they're trying, what the writers of the script are trying to do is make it so like you're not as mad that how come this whole castle full of people is punished for one guy? Yeah. But it doesn't, it's still a whole castle full of people being punished for one guy because you're not responsible for anyone else's actions. Yeah. They didn't force him not to take in this woman just because they possibly neglected their duties after his mother died. That doesn't mean, that doesn't make them responsible for And him. did they? Like, is it the servant's class, the moral responsibility for the moral, uh, like, is there a responsibility for the moral education of their employer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. No, it isn't. It really isn't. You cannot I, change anyone else. And you are, it's not your responsibility how someone else chooses to live their life and he chose to live his life badly, they do, they, them being punished is just not, still not okay. Yeah. And, and I feeling, totally agree. I think they're trying. They recognize the problem and are trying, but it's not enough. Sorry, what and were you them, And them feeling like they have to be punished. Yeah. Feeling it's still like the servant who's not serving like this real classist problem where yep. there's something built into the serving class that makes them have to be alongside whoever they're serving for their entire lives. It's not just servitude, it's slavery. Yep. And make no mistake, these servants who became objects are are objects. They're not actual developed people because they're still, they're being treated as extensions of someone who made a choice. Yep. And that is still a problem. And I think you said, uh, and I agreed with you that they're trying to address and fix something from the animated movie, but I mm -hmm. think they actually make it worse instead of better. Hmm. Because like you said it on your way through, on your way past to make another point, you said that they, feel like they should be punished. I think the message of this movie that uh, their punishment is justified is worse than the message of the last movie, which is just thoughtless about whether they're punished or not. Mm -hmm. Because this movie is saying the serving classes are responsible for the moral actions of their betters. Yeah. Right? And their entire identity is being servants and it is right and appropriate that they should be punished for the actions of their uh, master. Mm -hmm. And their family relationships can just be erased because they're not important. Yeah. And like, acknowledge saying that there's a Mr. Potts who lives in the village doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. Yes. Right? Agreed. Because now this kid's lost his father and the father's lost his kid because of what the Beast, because of what Dan Stevens did. Like, yeah. that's way worse than just it, the father died or whatever. Mm. <laughs> right? It feels a little like this town, aside from Belle and her father, is kind of in a weird time lock. Yeah, Which, agreed. Um, I don't think you haven't seen very much of the TV show Once Upon a Time. No. But that's essentially what that show is like. Hmm. Is before uh, the other, the outside people come to that town, it's very, they're just locked in their roles and nothing much is happening. It's like Pleasantville is like just repeating right. over and over. And this, and I feel like that's kind of what this town is like. And that's why Belle grates so much against it. Because you feel like, especially, I don't know, watching the animated movie over and over. And like, you're so on Belle's side and like this little town. And then you're like, she's kind of 
singing her mean, like, mean <laughs> song about them all. There goes <laughs> Belle singing her mean song. What's like, that? Where is that from? It's so, a, I think it's just a webcomic that I saw. That's... There goes Belle singing her daily mean song about us. Yeah. <laughs> like, she... Yeah. So, but if we think of it as everyone is under this spell somehow, yeah. and everyone is trapped, then... That's a problem because they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be punished based because of because of one guy that dude's actions. But it really explains why they act the way they act. Yeah, it fixes some world building issues in the story, but adds more moral problems to the yes, story. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we've gone on for quite a long time about Beauty and the Beast. Let's just say very quickly, uh, this is a racially diverse world. Yes. Uh, uncommented upon, but mm-hmm. like, good. That's, yeah. It's, um, I mean, all the main characters, all the, all the, the main, like, uh, humans, not object characters are white, but it, d- it does have a very diverse background. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's true. Like the background characters, Plumet is the least of the object main characters and she is played by an actress of color. What? And the wardrobe. And the wardrobe. The two of them mm-hmm. played by actresses of color who are the most minor of the characters. Wardrobe's Italian accent is not good either. Yeah, true. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. Accents. No good accents in this movie. No. So, is it good? Is it seriously good? I think we're going to have some discussion here. I think we are. Because I'm going to go with, I think it's good and I think it's seriously good. <sighs> what what part do you disagree with about that? I don't think it's good. I think... I really, really think that uh, if the animated movie didn't exist and this was all there was, the I don't think it's uh, good enough to be good. I think that the really bad performances from most of the supporting cast and the pacing problems and the confusing, like what is the deal with the enchantress and the way that the songs are all like the pacing of the songs that uh, Gaston and little town are both really great songs, but I don't think they would have been really great songs if this was your only exposure to them and even beauty and the beast uh, is auto-tuned to the point that like i'm not sure that emma thompson's beauty and the beast would have been the great big uh hit hit but would have been the great big like success uh, cultural success if it was your first exposure to this song that angela lansbury's was I'm willing to go down to medium good. I'll I'll grant you a medium good. <laughs> it's medium good. I don't think it's medium good, but I'll grant you. I think it's medium, but I'll grant you medium good. We'll compromise on that. Is it seriously good? I think it has seri- some major serious issues, but I think despite them, I'm willing to call it seriously good. Um... I would really be interested in having a conversation with people who have thought uh, more about the rep- about LeFou and the cross-dressing townsman. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to hear lots of your thoughts about that because I'm is the not fellow, sure what I think. The fellow who LeFou dances with at the end, isn't that the cross-dressing townsman? I think it is. Yeah, so that's interesting. So yeah, I would really be interested in hearing all of you, our listeners' thoughts uh, mm-hmm. because I think those are bad, but I'm not uh, but it is confident about it. But it is representation. Yeah. I mean, bad representation is worse than no representation, I think. I think I've reached the, That's op- the opinion. Okay. Yeah, I would love to hear from our viewers, our listeners. They don't view us. Our listeners <laughs> about what they think about the 2017 version of Beauty and the Beast. How would they tell us how they feel, Paul? You can at us on Twitter, at WTSCast. You can email us 
at waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram, uh, and those are in the show notes. If you like this show, please do rate and review it to help other people find it. And if you want to help us continue to make podcasts, you can support us at patreon.com slash clockworkscast, and we would be very grateful if you did. So one last thing before we completely tune out here is um, since this is Dan Stevens, our our main character from our other favorite show, Legion, do is it possible that this whole thing is just part of David Holler's dream? I mean, David has uh, is both schizophrenic and possibly, I mean, he's delusional delusional multiple personalities maybe he sees and feels things that aren't necessarily real i think uh not only might it be i think it's almost certain that this is a another aspect of david's personality Mm -hmm. and all of this is happening within david's head yeah in which case sid is gonna be like ticked off that he's making eyes at this uh bell yep So-called. And, I mean, there's musical scenes, which fits right in with Legion. Yeah, agreed. So I can say confidently that this is our first crossover podcast between Way Too Seriously and Clockworks, a Legion podcast. Absolutely. On that note, I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And I have a question as the sign-off, and it is this, Jan. Belle in the blue dress or Belle in the yellow dress? It all depends if it's the cartoon. No, no, no. Belle in the blue dress. Hmm. This blue dress is pretty fantastic, but I'm going to have to say Belle in the yellow dress. It's so pretty. Bye. Bye.